Hey everybody, you got it. It's Thursday and it's 2 p.m. Eastern and we're here again for Bold Leaders in Learning. I'm Brandon Busteed, President of University Partners and Global Head of Learn, Work, Innovation at Kaplan. And I've got a good friend and terrific guest today, Simone Petrella, who's the founder and CEO of CyberVista. Uh, I know a lot of people who are involved in the cybersecurity world. I don't know anybody who knows more about it than Simone. So uh, we're going to have a great conversation today. Simone, first of all, thank you for joining. Um, and I would love to just start so that our audience has uh, a little bit of an understanding about you, your own personal background. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about what you're doing at Cyber Vista. So uh, let's start with, uh, t tell us more about uh, how you got to the field of cybersecurity here. <laughs> sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Brandon. It's a, I'm really excited to have this conversation today. So uh, my path to cybersecurity is probably similar to a lot of people who have been in the field for any period of time, which is, it is a completely unique path. Um, I'm an international affairs major and had a background. I actually got my start in the Department of Defense in um, threat analysis and threat intelligence and ended up in um, 2005 working in the intelligence community doing something called intelligence support to computer network operations. Um, and it was not something I had necessarily pursued. It was an analytic position, um, but the need at the time was that there are kind of like bad things that happen on networks and what are nation states doing that are potentially impacting the US when it comes to information warfare um, and information security, which at the time I would go tell my friends about it. No one had anyone I, any idea what I'm doing. And now I feel like everyone's like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that is. Um, so I got my start in the, in the government, in the DOD, like so many, but not necessarily having a, a purely technical background. And, you know, as that evolved, that grew from kind of a small group looking at threat intelligence and cyber threat intelligence to then becoming what is now colloquially known as cyber and cyber security. Um, and that really has kind of expanded from there. So after working and supporting the DOD for many, many years, um, I actually then moved over to, um, I was doing uh, consulting at the time. I was working at Booz Allen Hamilton and doing defense contracting and defense consulting. I moved over to our commercial practice because the idea at the time was around 2013 and 2014, the private sector was looking at what the DOD and the government was doing around cybersecurity and saying, we need to adopt some of these practices into our own critical infrastructures, especially around important industries like financial services and industrial controls, utilities, you know, anything that we designate as critical infrastructure. So I spent the next few years kind of working in the financial and retail sectors, helping these companies build out their cyber operations um, and kind of saw like firsthand how difficult it was to find and place the right talent in the roles that we had um, and be able to retain them. Uh, I kind of constantly tell the story that as I progressed in my career, I had people who'd come to me and say, I wanna get into cybersecurity. We'd put them on the job, we'd kind of get them trained up. And like 18 months later, they'd say, thank you so much for this experience and moving on to this next job because I'm getting paid 30 to 40% more. Couldn't compete with that. Um, so that really sparked a passion of mine into the people side of this problem in cybersecurity. And so um, in 2015, you know, went and, and came to, to found and, and, and have a part in, in starting CyberVista, where our goal um, has been and continues to be to identify how we can take a organization-driven approach to how we can actually fill that skills gap and 
create more innovative and kind of practical driven ways to measure and improve the talent gap without necessarily only looking to expand external pipeline. Um, so very much focus on the, the people side, but it comes from a, a long winding history of my own background in the field. Yeah, no, it's a great story. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more at, a, at an aggregate level, but your own personal story, I think, is really relevant, right? You know, you did not have a technical background, right? You had a broader, you know, dare I say, kind of liberal arts type experience in terms of your educational background. And uh, I mean, it sounds like you, you always had some interest in the more technical side of things, but, you know, you got into what many people think of as a very technical field. And I know in our previous conversations, you know, you've you've said a lot about it's not just teaching people that, you know, the technical skills, it's about having an understanding of what questions to ask and, you know, thinking in creative ways. Like, so uh, we'll come back and, and kind of address that a little bit more, because I know that's part of the, the strategy uh, of what what kind of training and education you guys have developed. Um, but let's just start, too. I know cybersecurity is a it's a huge topic. I think most people have heard the term. Most people are aware that it's kind of a, a white hot area. Um, lots of jobs open in cybersecurity, but it's also still, in my opinion, little understood, right? Because we could run the gamut from, you know, cyber threats that we think of at the Department of Defense level, right? All the way down to, is my kid accessing inappropriate content on their iPad, right? And, you know, did I accidentally leave my password in my notebook on my desk, right? So tell me about the different levels of cybersecurity that you think of? Because it, it, in, in some cases, runs the gamut from something that touches everybody, in at least a small way, to people who are like really, really specific experts. So just give us a lay of that land a little bit. Yeah, sure. I think the easiest way to think about it is, you know, we are all, um, if there has been no other time in our history as a, as a species, that we are incredibly technology dependent and connected. And as a result of that, we're all then also at risk to certain vulnerabilities within the systems. Because let's also kind of like level set here for a second. Humans are the ones responsible for developing and deploying all of these great technologies that we utilize. And surprise, surprise, we are flawed. Um, you know, we do not create perfect systems all the time. Um, so at the, at the broadest level where it affects all of us in cybersecurity, and I think this has become more mainstream, is really what I would classify as cyber hygiene. It's that concept that what are your kids actually accessing on their iPads? How are you making sure that you're storing passwords appropriately? Um, or more commonly, you know, how are we going to encourage the greater population to not use password as their password? Um, by the way, the most common password. Um, you know, so I, you know, kind of put that under the umbrella of like, these are just the basic in this time and era, like wash your hands, wear your mask in your digital life. Right. Um, and that's kind of your cyber, you know, hygiene component that we're all responsible for. The next layer is what I coin cyber enabled. And this is a growing kind of like band in the, in the kind of hierarchy of, of cyber roles. And it's the idea that there are job roles and functions and responsibilities out there where the primary responsibility is not cybersecurity, but cybersecurity is a really huge component of what needs to happen for that person to do their job appropriately. So easiest example yeah. is, you know, traditional IT roles in like setting up a network, right? Your network administrator and kind of, we all work for companies that have networks. You need to be able to appropriately configure that, but now we have everyone working from home 
So there need to be security controls and protocols that are actually built into those networks to ensure that they are more secure. They're still doing network administration. It's not a purely, you know, cybersecurity specific role, but they need to actually leverage and use cybersecurity in order to do that job more efficiently. And you see that continuing to expand across the industry. We see it in compliance areas because mm -hmm. regulations that are being developed, we're seeing it in the legal field because there's actually more, you know, cases that come up as there are breaches and what are the responses to that. So as companies become essentially technology companies, and I would make the argument that there's pretty much not a company on earth right now that's not at some stage of transition into being transformed into technology company. Yeah. Pretty much all those roles are kind of correspondingly having some element of cyber enabled requirements within them. Um, and then last, but not, certainly not least, are the, what I consider to be purely cybersecurity professional roles. The active monitoring, logging, you know, identifying um, malicious activity on networks, monitoring those networks, and then responding, mitigating, and dealing with incidents as they occur, right? So that's kind yeah. of the, the final layer where you have the, the pure, you know, this is all they do, breathe in and out cybersecurity roles. But yeah. they're... The lines between them, very, very blurred. And I actually would argue they're getting blurrier uh, in, in our current situation. Yeah, I was thinking that. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm certainly, uh, and first of all, I love your terminology of, of kind of cyber hygiene, right? I think that's a great way to think about the role of cyber that touches everybody. Um, and, and you're right, you know, as, as organizations transform, I mean, almost every organization in the world, to your point, is going through some form of digital transformation. And, you know, certainly I think this is being accelerated by COVID, but it was on a roaring pace long before a global pandemic. And, uh, and so one of the things that I always talk about is that organizations that go through digital transformations start to realize very quickly that digital transformations require human capital transformations. And I know you've talked about that a lot because you talk about, you know, cyber strategies. Like if, you, if you're going to have a cyber strategy and everybody has one or really needs one, it, 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 it's impossible for that not to quickly lead them to understand that they need a different people strategy. Tell me more about this. Like, like we, we, we're, in a, we're in an economy right now where, you know, there's significant unemployment, but there are actually growing jobs in cybersecurity right now. We just... We don't have enough people trained to get in those jobs, right? So tell me about the, the cyber strategy needing a people strategy. Yeah, well, I think it's very similar to a fallacy that exists within digital transformations for companies. There's this assumption that if you're going through a digital transformation or a security transformation, that it's totally based, it can be solved based on technology and automation. Yeah. What it actually shows is that it's just essentially shifting the need to a different type of skill set and expertise in the people you have to be able to appropriately leverage those technologies or kind of implement that digital transformation. So when, you know, when we work with companies and talk to companies around their cybersecurity teams and the roles that they need to make their businesses more secure, because you're not going to run an effective business unless you have security built in to your operations in some capacity, you're not going to be able to have an effective cybersecurity strategy if you don't have a corresponding people strategy. Because if you only put all your resources into technology solutions or automation, you're not gonna be able to deploy and implement them properly. You're not going to be able to have the right analysis and output that actually allows you to do something. No. And 
like any other industry or job, the only way to really make it impactful and have a true, you know, make a true difference within the business is to have someone make that connection about how are we look like, what are we looking at in the security controls we've put in place and what we're accomplishing? And is that making us as a business more secure? Is it having a net neutral? Or are we spending money on things that frankly are actually you know, inco inconsequential to us. And so therefore it's actually a massive amount of a cost center that maybe we shouldn't be investing in. Those are right. the things that require a whole host of skills. Um, and companies have kind of had to wake up to the idea that there's this broad ecosystem of talent and competencies and skills that you need to have effective security. And that doesn't just mean technical roles. It doesn't even just mean cyber roles. It means kind of the how you build out from the onion of your cybersecurity operations to even the business units that touch and rely on those security operations. So if you don't understand the people strategy behind it, you're not even going to know how to kind of be efficient in your allocation of resources, spending, or the policies and procedures you put in place. Right. And it seems like there's, uh, I mean, especially in this field, right, there's like immediate need, short term, you know, upskilling, reskilling training opportunities that could be solved in a matter of weeks, right? There's kind of midterm, which would be things like, you know, uh, I don't know, a couple of years of experience, some more significant training, maybe, you know, starting to talk about degree based uh, education, right? Two, four year, you know, master's level and then there's the what I call the long tail people strategy, which is how do we get more? And I know just like most technology fields, right, that, that cybersecurity is underrepresented uh, in terms of, you know, diversity in these roles. Female, right, underrepresented minorities, you know, we're, we're still struggling to get more of that pipeline going. And that that's one that's probably going to be an even longer term strategy, right, which is the degree to which young boys and girls in middle school, for example, see themselves or don't see themselves in a field like cybersecurity. So tell me a little bit about this. I mean, you're, you're a female CEO of a cybersecurity company. You were one of the early pioneers in the DOD um, around this. I mean, you've seen it through your own perspective, but at a, at a kind of broader level, how, where are we making progress on this longer tail strategy from a diversity perspective? What things do we need to be doing more of? Yeah, so I think the good news is that there are some really innovative and creative initiatives out there to try and really embrace the need for not only greater diversity and representation in the industry, but the way that we actually reach out and kind of tap into those groups. Um, the, the bad news or the challenge is that they're still fairly piecemeal. And so they're small, there's nothing that's really been put in place or that can really be scaled appropriately across the industry. So you'll see some companies that are taking tremendous strides to really think about not only the long-term vision, but that long tail. And then you have a, a vast majority, especially in mid-market, where they're just trying to get people in place right. now. Right, um, yeah. They don't have the luxury to even think about that. Um, so I think my first kind of point and reaction to that is, I do think a big onus here and the burden falls on the companies that are at the, the kind of, you know, tier one large market firms that are able to actually think about their investment recruiting strategies. Mm -hmm. And they have to be the ones leading this for the good of the rest of those industries because they don't have a problem recruiting talent. They're the ones paying the greatest salaries. 
They also are the ones that are in many cases participating in some of these initiatives to increase diversity into the field, whether it be through minorities, women, working with programs, whether it's internships, exploring alternative models where maybe a university degree isn't required. Um, but if they, do, if they need to be the ones to do this because that's going to be what kind of provides enough talent filling those roles to then push down and actually flow down to the mid-market and kind of smaller regional in, um, industries as well. Right. And, you know, oh, so go ahead. Yeah. No, but, um, so, yeah, yeah, I was just saying like, so I think that's where there's that kind of like company burden. And then you took like, look at the long term and you say, well, then those are the companies that have to think about their workforce strategies as a blend. How are you planning for the future and what's going to actually be the next generation of your employees? But what can you do now in the near and the midterm to be able to actually fill the roles that are so critical that you need to just kind of make security work um, on a day-to-day -day business operation standpoint? Yeah. And I think you, you put out, you, you made a good point about the onus is on employers and particularly kind of the large tier one employers where the volume of needs they have in cybersecurity, the diversity of the types of roles they're hiring in terms of, you know, super pro, super, you know, specialized all the way down to, you know, kind of more of the cyber enabled type roles like they, you know, they, they have to be in this game, you know, if you're a tiny firm that's trying to hire two or three people the long tail strategy just isn't going to resonate, right? You know, you've got, you've got a job, you need to fill it. Um, tell me a little bit about like how higher ed comes into this, right? Because we have seen higher ed institutions launching more bachelor's degree in cybersecurity programs, obviously, you know, hearing and seeing need for this out there. But, you know, we also know that a lot of these jobs can be filled um, without a full bachelor's degree worth of cybersecurity. And I, um, you know, one of the, well, I'll come back to this later. I'll tell you about some neat market research that we did on it. But just give me an idea of, you know, where does higher ed need to go with this? Like, is higher ed playing its role? Uh, or, you know, is this, and is it going to be solved by degrees? Is it going to be a mix of degrees and non-degree programs? I would just love to hear your thoughts on the higher ed side of the equation. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like everything, it depends on the roles and the needs. And so the answer is ultimately there's a mix, right? It's, there's no, there's no kind of one size fits all approach here. And so I don't think that there's, you don't, you don't need to eliminate degrees, but you also don't always need degrees. Um, I'll answer by saying like the most common thing I hear, um, both when I was in the industry and I had my team of cybersecurity professionals, as well as the companies I worked with and, you know, at the time, and then the companies I work with now, when they say, well, what makes someone in your particular cybersecurity role successful? We have all those technical skills they have to tick off, but doesn't regardless of what are the most common things I hear are communication, writing, and critical thinking, which interestingly enough, none of which are technical skill sets. Um, and so, you know, you can argue, um, and you know, I'll argue a lot of times, like, well, then screen for those types of traits in people or aptitude or qualities, and then train them on the technical skills. But if you actually break it down and you start to probe and you say, well, why do you have a requisition for this job, which from a technical skills point standpoint, you could, you could gain with a credential or someone coming out of high school. Right. Yeah, but as we get to the more advanced roles and they get into leadership or management, we need those kind of core communication and, and those types of skills. And that's where they're really kind of going back to like, we want a bachelor's degree not so much because it's a bachelor's in cybersecurity, um, although now that's available. But what my takeaway is like a lot of times they're really kind of honing in on more of those ancillary 
skills that you learn through the experience of going through an entire undergraduate program, you know, yeah. whether collaborative team projects or having to break apart a problem and come up with a creative solution, thinking outside the box and just kind of doing that in environment. And I think that's where, you know, I see a lot of higher ed just rolling out cybersecurity degrees. I think the ones that are the most forward thinking in this are kind of truly treating it as something that's interdisciplinary, yeah. as just a technical role. Um, and I think there's also a, a little bit of an opportunity lost for some of those more you know, liberal arts minded institutions where they're pumping out graduates where a liberal arts degree, like that's kind of a challenge now. What do you do with that liberal arts degree? I would posit that's fine. They actually still have really critical fun, like underlying skills that we can put something on top of and make them really successful in this fast growing and, you know, job demand rich environment, which is cybersecurity. Yeah. And you've hit on, you know, anybody who's joined my show before has probably heard me say this or read anything that I've written. You know, it's, it's what I call the both and instead of the either or, right? You know, it's not either the liberal arts or some very specific career or vocational training, which we've always kind of put in like separate buckets as if they're mutually exclusive. Like this is the liberal arts with some technical skilling and experience, right? And all of a sudden now, you know, th that's actually what employers are valuing most. And this was the market research that, that I was going to mention earlier, um, which is, you know, we, we asked uh, in a survey of uh, general population, we asked them to imagine themselves as a hiring manager, knowing nothing else about these three graduates, which would you be most likely to hire? And the, and the choices were a bachelor's degree in English, a bachelor's degree in cybersecurity, or a bachelor's degree in English with a designation in cybersecurity, right? In other words, an industry recognized credential. And they, they were four times more likely to choose the English major with the cybersecurity designation over the English major without one. And they were three times more likely to pick that major than the cybersecurity major. So, you know, in that you say, wait a minute, I thought the English major was dead. Oh, no, no, no. If you modify that with a high value industry recognized credential, that's actually, you know, by far and away the most attractive thing. So I think that's where higher education has an incredible opportunity. I think it also helps, um, you know, the, a larger number of people to envision themselves in technical roles, right? Because I think a lot of people are intimidated by the idea of like, oh, you know, I, I'm not good at math or I'm not technical, right? And, and in reality, there's, to your point, a lot of these skills can be taught right? They're not, you know, the, the intimidate, you know, they're not as intimidating, I should say, as what people think they are. So an international affairs major became a top cybersecurity expert, right? Like, I think it's an empowering notion for other people. So I hope that it, it trickles out, not just across how universities think about it, but how, you know, somebody in high school thinks about their career trajectory. Yeah. Well, and one thing I want to add on to that is, you know, cybersecurity at most is 20 to 25 years old as a discipline and a field, right? Before that, it was a little bit of like information technology and then information security before that. The truth of the matter is that a lot of the roles and the jobs that exist in cybersecurity today did not exist five years ago, did not exist in some cases two years ago. So the industries right. evolved. And so there is a perception, I think, by both universities and individuals that well, we say cybersecurity, that's highly technical. But you actually look at the jobs that are kind of being created, and it's a spectrum. And it is an incredibly diverse spectrum when you look right. at what the actual job functions and roles and responsibilities are. And it does span everything from 
the highly technical where you have, you know, advanced pen testing or incident response all the way to the other end of the spectrum where it's legal and regulatory and what are the impacts right. of our laws. Um, so, and that's just expanding, you know, as, as our kind of world changes and evolves. And so, you know, my like recommendation to universities, and I know this is hard because there's a little bit of a mismatch of how long it takes to probably develop and deploy a curriculum for a degree program versus how, like, how often or how quickly these jobs are changing. But how do you prepare a workforce to go into these jobs when the jobs that they actually are preparing for may not even exist yet? You know, like those 12, 12th graders today, they're actually going to probably be stepping into job roles that are vastly different from even the ones we have in cybersecurity today. Yeah. And what happens, one of the questions uh, from one of our, um, one of the folks joining us on LinkedIn uh, is about, what about for like mid-career switchers, right? Somebody who's been on a different type of career track, right? And, you know, hey, you know, they recognize there's a growing set of jobs open in cybersecurity. What happens for that mid-career changer? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a couple ways to look at it from a mid-career changing. And that, to me, kind of always falls into the bucket of like reskilling. And there, you know, you I think from an individual perspective, you have to think about, well, what are the skills that I have obtained and kind of built upon to get to the point I am here? And now what, when you think about the, the opportunities that exist within cybersecurity, which ones of those are most fungible and translate? And now let me actually be, be discriminating about how I want to think about adding a credential or technical skills or something on top of that to, to actually kind of make that logical leap. Um, I think that a lot of people fall into the fallacy right now that they're kind of looking to do a mid-career shift and they're like, I'm going to go from, you know, doing, you know, like compliance and auditing and I'm going to go be, you know, I'm going to go hack into networks and, and do pen testing. It's like, okay, that's a really large leap. But if you think about what you currently have and then how does that actually start to hit into those ancillary components of cybersecurity, you can at least say, okay, now I have, I have this compliance and auditing background. How do I think about what that would mean in a cybersecurity context of a company? Um, so at least then you can kind of draw, like you can bridge that gap a little bit more and make a case for yourself to an employer. Um, right. The other thing I would say is, and this is where I go back to putting the onus on employers, I think employers also have a responsibility to look inside their own companies to mid-career professionals in different parts of the business who have not only invaluable skill sets based on what they do today, but they also have the most invaluable skill set at all, which is knowledge of the company, the business, and how it operates. <laughs> and right. that's incredibly difficult to train. Like you can't train that other than getting someone in your, your company environment. Um, and so being able to have companies kind of take a proactive role in identifying mid-career talent who's looking to actually switch and move into some of these more technical or security related roles and invest the time, energy, and resources to help them get there that's a good retention strategy as well as a cost-saving strategy as well, because again, you can sure. hold on all the institutional knowledge that you should bring with them. Yeah. And is this, I know you, you, you gave me a little bit of a tutorial on the way in which CyberVista is using assessments uh, as part of thinking about smart training or, you know, the right training, you know, and so tell me, does that, I mean, does that play into how you would help uh, an individual assess, you know, wh wh where and how fast they could get or to help a company assess what they really need for a role or how to get that most efficiently. I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about the combination of assessment and the right type of education and training. 
Yeah. So I think it kind of goes to the concept that we see in the digital world, which is you can't kind of, you can't fix what you don't measure. Um, and you need to have a baseline and that should apply to training as well. And so our philosophy is that if you provide an initial assessment or diagnostic, you can establish a baseline, whether you are an organization looking to baseline the level of skill you have in a certain area, or you're just trying to gain insights about the, the breakdown and kind of the diversity of talent and skill sets you have, or if you're an individual who knows that you want to pursue a certain role and you want to identify the gaps in your knowledge or your abilities in order to be able to achieve that role. Knowing your starting point is kind of the, it's, it's the foundation that everything else builds on top of, because otherwise you're just throwing money at training without it being relevant or relating back to the actual, you know, business objective that you're looking to accomplish. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of like the big crux of why starting with an assessment, then when you actually select and deploy training, you can measure progress against your baseline and see, has there been demonstrable improvement? Not only are they scoring better, are they actually participating more? Are they, you know, now let's actually pair that with the more qualitative components of what it means to have someone do their job effectively in my organization. Yeah, yeah, I continue to be, you know, astounded at that, that the lack of use of assessments before educational strategy and programs and training. I mean, even at the higher ed level, I mean, we think about this at a degree level, we can think about this at a kind of micro-credential level, a boot camp level, and it's happening in some places, but for the most part, I think we continue to miss an opportunity to use assessments as formative tools, you know, not just simply summative tools, like how did you score, but using it as a way to help better train and educate people. So I'm really excited to, you know, hear more about how that evolves for Cyber Vista. I think that's one of the things that's working really, really well for you guys and why a lot of people are, uh, are coming to you for help. So, um, I, you know, look, I, I know we're at the, the half hour mark, but I can't let uh, one of the world's great minds in cybersecurity go without asking an important question of the day. Mail-in voting. Go. I think that the essence of democracy is to make sure that every vote is counted. So when you like everything in security, you have to constantly balance the convenience of what you're trying to accomplish versus the risk of something going wrong. And so when I look at democracy as being the crown jewel of the most important thing that we need to actually be able to preserve, being able to have a mechanism despite the potential risks of having mail-in voting, uh, I think outweigh those, those risks of, of potentially not doing it because of fear that there could be some sort of you know, bad activity. So that would be my security-minded approach to mail-in voting. Yeah, that's good. Okay, well said. I, I didn't give you a lot of time to, you know, kind of think about that one. So I, I give you I give you an A on that one. That was a good answer. Um, so Simone, thank you so much. Those who are interested in learning more about Cyber Vista, uh, check it out or leave me a message on the, the LinkedIn page and Simone will see it too and be able to uh, connect with you. But uh, Thank you so much for carving out some time in your day and adding another Zoom to your schedule here. But uh, it was really a delight. So thanks so much. No, thank you for having me. And for those of you who uh, typically are tuning in next week, uh, just a little plug for the show. We've got Sally Amoruso joining us, who's the chief partner officer at EAB. Sally has just spent the last few months interviewing over 100 college presidents. So we're going to start to hear a little bit of the insight she's learned from them. Uh, and we'll look forward to it. And just so you're aware as well, our LinkedIn live show is also captured in podcasts. So pretty much anywhere you pick up podcasts, look for this show there. And uh, we will see you next Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>